past couple of weeks. I didn't do it last week if you were here. Holy Spirit kind of took over and did his own thing. We're in a series called Ordered. And we're talking about what it means to have our steps and our plans and our lives ordered by the Lord. And if you're like me, you want to know that you're doing the right thing. You want to know that you're going in the right direction. You want to know that you're doing the things you're supposed to be doing. And we all have plans and goals and dreams that we want to see. We have plans not for ourselves, but also for our families, for our children and things of that nature. And how many of you want to know that you're doing the right thing? How many of you want to see the, the thing that you're believing and expecting for actually happen? Because it's one thing to just believe something, but it's another one to see it come to pass. How many of you, if I gave you the mic, could give me a testimony of a prayer that you prayed for a long time? I'm not talking like a quick hit, but like something you prayed and believed for for years that God answered. Raise your hand. Say, I believed for this, and I can, I can have it. He did it. I saw it happen. Well, this morning... If you remember the first message when I talked about ordered, we talked about how God is the one in charge and how he's the one that's ordering our steps. But any success comes from the Lord. <clears throat> any greatness comes from the Lord. This morning we're going to go a little bit further, though. The title of this message is ordered, How Righteous Are Your Steps? Because I want to let you know something this morning. God is sovereign, right? That means God is in charge. He's the boss, okay? But that doesn't mean that he's ordering everybody's steps. I want to say that again. He's in charge. That doesn't mean he's ordering everybody's steps. And we're going to get into that this morning. Open your Bibles to Psalm 37. <coughs> 37 verse 23. And it says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. We talked about how in the first message that God ordered Mary's steps into the impossible. That she was told, you're going to have a baby. You're not going to know a man. You're going to conceive, and you're going to give birth as a virgin. Mary says, how can this be? Well, today, we're going to look at the other parent in the story, which is Joseph. <coughs> we're going to look at Joseph this morning, and we're going to see that while we're talking about God ordering our steps, it's important to remember that God isn't just interested in what you do with your life, but how you live it. See, something has happened in church in the United States and America, and I've preached on it before, and I'll do it again, I'm sure, but we've allowed some message to be taught, some thinking to be given that God does not care what you do. He doesn't care how you live, that holiness doesn't matter, that living right doesn't matter, and we can just kind of do whatever we want and God loves us. And we think that this is okay, and it's happening all over the nation especially, but over the world there's this, it's called the greasy grace message, which is that you can do whatever you want and it's okay because God loves you and God died on the cross. Yes, he loves you. Yes, he died on the cross. He did not die on the cross to keep you where you are or let you stay where you are. He will find you where you are and the power of the cross at work in your life does not leave you that way. He changes you into a new person. We have a lot of people attending church but not being changed into a new person. Jesus did not come to fill buildings. He came to change and transform lives. Amen? And so one of the evidences of that 
is when our lives resemble him. When our actions resemble him. I want to look at Joseph this morning. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the, verse, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, knew each other, had sexual relations, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, <clears throat> was minded to secretly to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary for your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled what the, which, the prophet, which the Lord had spoken through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, <coughs> which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took him, took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and they called his name Jesus. Emphasis on verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a pub, her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. I've got to give you some background here. Under the law, if you committed adultery, you were sentenced to death. You could be stoned in the middle of the public square if it was proven you committed adultery. That's why a few chapters later when the woman is caught in adultery, she is brought to Jesus. They want to stone her and they say, but what say you? So Mary is technically in the eyes of the law from the outside guilty. Because how else did she get pregnant? Do me a favor and try to imagine the conversation Mary has with Joseph when she tries to explain how she got pregnant. That sounds, to me, like it would be quite the awkward conversation, right? Like, hey, babe, um, so I'm pregnant. It's not yours. It's actually not anybody's. It's God's. And I can imagine the tension in the room, right? That's how we think. I'm going to let you know that Joseph probably didn't have as much tension as you think. This is why. Because... <clears throat> When you read the Bible and you study it, we understand that Joseph, that it was prophesied for hundreds of years that the Messiah was going to come from the house of David. Okay, So when you read, you find out that Joseph is of the house of David and so is Mary. In the book of Isaiah, about 600, and, let me think, I wrote it down here. Between 701 and 680 B.C., the Isaiah, prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 7, that the virgin shall give birth. Well, Jewish people knew the prophecy of the Messiah. They studied it. They dwelt on it. They knew it very well because they were looking for this expected Messiah. So they knew he was coming, and so they knew how he would be coming. They knew that he was going to be born of a virgin. They knew all of these different things. So when Mary comes to Joseph and she says, I'm pregnant, and it's from the Holy Spirit, Joseph has a decision to make. And it's not the decision that you and I would have to make necessarily. It is, do I believe the word of the Lord or not? That's the question that Joseph had to answer because he knew what the Bible said. He knew what the book of Isaiah said, that there was going to be a virgin that would give birth to the Messiah. He knew Mary was a virgin unless he didn't trust, unless he didn't trust her. He knew that Mary was a virgin because he hadn't slept with her. So he's got a decision to make. 
I am justified, as Joseph, I am justified in having her put to death. I am justified in completely canceling this marriage, canceling this betrothal, and getting rid of her. I'm justified in that because every single person I talk to is going to look at her, see that she's pregnant, and I can say it wasn't for me, and I can have her put to death. This is something that Joseph knows he can do in the eyes of the world. But he also knows what the Word of God says. But how many times have you found that the Word of God seems to contradict or go against the thing that society says is right? Right, see, I don't know about you, but I didn't realize that there was this dichotomy shown in the Christmas story, that there was this situation shown, that Joseph has to pick, does he stand and believe what the Bible said? It didn't have this necessary Bible 2,000 years ago, did he believe what the book of Isaiah said? Did he believe the word of the Lord, or did he want to go off what he felt was right? What he was justified in doing? I can go show any place with this, but I'm not. We got to remember something. Proverbs 14, 12 says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Okay? Joseph has an option to do what he wants. How many of you know that you have an option to do what you want every day? Right? You can do whatever you want every day. And nobody, I mean, eventually, like if you go shoot somebody, they eventually going to find you, right? Like, I'm not talking about those things. But you have the choice to do whatever you want every day. Joseph has the same decision. But Joseph, notice how it says in verse 19, being a just man. Being a just man. What just man says, it takes us back to Psalms where the steps of a good man, when you research the word good, it means righteous, it means justly, and it can even mean holy. Well, I don't know about you. There's nothing in me holy. There's nothing in me just. There's nothing in me good. So when Psalm says that the plans of a just man or a good man or a righteous man are ordered by the Lord, is it really describing me? No, it's describing the way I choose to live my life. You got to catch this because we can't go forward if you don't catch this. That promise in Psalms is not saying that I'm going to bless this man and because I bless this man, he's good. No, what it's saying is because this man has chosen to follow me, his heart is just, there's righteousness in him, there's goodness in him, and because there's goodness in him, the steps are ordered. We can't live wrong and die right. We can't sit in church, live like hypocrites, party all weekend, and then expect God to bless us. We can't. Why? Because there is a standard of righteousness. There is a standard of holiness. There is a thing that he wants us to live like and be like and walk like, and it's his son. And he knows we can't do it in and of ourselves. So Joseph has this decision, do I believe the word of the Lord, do I do what the word of the Lord says to do, or do I do what I can do? Listen, there are so many options, I could go, so, I said I can go so many different ways with this, where we could find ourselves in positions where I'm justified 
to get angry at my wife because of X. I'm justified to get angry at my husband because of X. I'm justified to go do this because this happened to me. I'm justified a night getting completely blitzed and drunk because of what happened to me this week at work. I'm justified in going back and getting that substance I used to use all the time because my mother just died. I'm justified. Why? Because I'm hurting and I'm grieving and I got to get what I got to get because I got to be right. We can justify it and in the eyes of man... No one is going to bash you. No one's going to judge you because, man, look at that situation that person's in. Look at the trial. Look at the storm. Look at the battle they're facing. No, 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 but there's this. That says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The oldest passed away and all things are made new. Throwing things around here. See, there's a difference. Pastor Derek used to say, If there's been no change, there's been no change. If somebody who knows you before Jesus can't follow you around today after Jesus and see a difference, I don't know if you've met him. I don't know if there's actually been the change. Well, Pastor Chris, you're you're getting pretty legalistic. No, I'm not getting legalistic. I'm getting biblical. I'm not getting legalistic. I, I, I know what it's like to be in a legalistic culture. A legalistic culture is you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this times a hundred. I'm not saying you can't do this. What I'm saying is that a person who loves the Lord, it says that when you love me, you will obey my commandment. Joseph has an opportunity here. No one at that day and time would have thought any less of him had he got rid of Mary. Nobody. But Joseph had a choice to make. Do I stand on what the word of God says? Do I do what the word of God says? Do I trust him enough that when this makes no sense to me, I'm still going to follow through with it? Do I trust it? And Joseph's called the just man because there was the character of God in him. There was the righteousness of God in him. That he was able to make that step and say, you know what, no, I'm trusting. Now how? How do we do that? Because we got to remember something, that righteousness isn't of ourselves. Like if you didn't know that, I'd love to remind you. Because I remind myself all the time, there is nothing good in me. Nothing. Yes, Chris can do good things. I can do a good act. But whether I admit it or not, the good act is so you think I'm good. The good act is to make me feel better. The good act is to get me recognition in the eyes of others that I'm a good person. There's nothing good in me. I remember having a conversation with somebody one time. It was a big theological conversation. We're like two hours in. And the gentleman looked at me and he said, Do you believe that that man is evil or man is good? And I said, man is completely evil. In and of himself, he's completely evil. And the guy said, well, I, that's Genesis 1. I, I, I mean, that's Genesis 3. I really believe Genesis 1, that man was made in the image and of God. I said, yes, we were made in the image and of God. 3 just happens to come after 1. And in 3 is when they ate the fruit and they sinned. Yes, we're made in the image and of God. We were perfect. Adam was a perfect being. He was the perfect representation, the image and likeness of God. But then chapter 3 comes along, they eat the fruit. It doesn't say it's an apple. We put the apple in there. It's a fruit. And, he, and, out, and sin happens. So no, 
Humanity is not good. If, that's, if you don't think that's the case, just watch the news. If not just watch the news, just think back to the things that you have done to people when you were angry or said about people when you were angry. There is nothing good in us. Anything good that's in me comes from him. Because he is good. He's not just good in attribute. He's good by default. He's good in nature. Everything he does, when he breathes, it's good. When he blinks, it's good. Every thought that he has is good. I don't measure up to that. But it says that the steps of a good man, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Well, I don't know about you, but I want to be the righteous man because I want him to order my steps. I want to be the righteous man because I want to know that, God, I'm following you. I want this to work out the way you want it to work out. Now, before I get into how that happens, I want to say one more thing and why I keep making the point of he orders the righteous man's steps. This is why. Because before you and I come to Jesus, we are dead in sin. Ephesians chapter 2 said, And you, when you were once dead in sin and trespass, you're dead. Before, you're, before God can lead you into his righteous ordered plan, he has to get you alive. He has to bring life to you. And by putting our faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that life comes. We are born again. But when we're born again, and I'll just give you my, my testimony. I, was, I got born again five years old in a children's crusade in Fort Worth, Texas. Gospel Bill, if you know anything about it, been in church a long time, was Gospel Bill was on the stage. You don't know about no Gospel Bill. Gospel Bill was on the stage. And I got born again. I, I, I knew that I knew the, the first time I felt the presence of God, I, I, I could take, close my eyes, I could see the room. And from that moment on, the Lord had his hand on my life. Didn't always make sense, didn't always make the right decisions. Wasn't necessarily reading my Bible every day at five, but as I began to grow, my mom used to pray with Mary prayed over Luke. I believe it's Luke 2.52 where it says that he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. She would pray this for me uh, every day to let him grow in wisdom and stature and favor. I pray this for my kids every day. They grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So I would grow and I began to just experience more of him. I'd be in his presence. I, I, when I learned to read, I eventually would read the Bible. This morning, I got the best Christmas present I've ever seen. This morning, I woke up and I was getting ready in the back, and I had to bring the two girls with me this morning because Caitlin's getting ready for a party this afternoon. And uh, I walk out the front room to go get, I think, to get this shirt. I think I walk out the front room, and Addison, I got this island in my kitchen. Addison is at the island with her Bible and a highlighter reading in the chair that I sit in every morning when, when they're getting ready for school. I didn't tell her to do that. I didn't ask her to do that. I mean, she's reading Deuteronomy. I had to help her a little bit. Like, boo, let's, let's start over here. <laughs> let's get in Matthew. We ain't talking about the sacrificial laws yet. We'll get to that in a minute. Let's start in Matthew. But that, that was me as a kid. But high school rolls around, senior year of high school, and I get hurt by church people. That's why I, earlier this week I shared that thing on Facebook that said, I'm sorry the church hurt you. That was people, not Jesus. I got hurt by church people. Have been hurt by church people? Stay in church. It'll happen. You know why? Because church full of people. That's why. That's, side note, small tangent, that's why it really frustrates me when people stop going to church because church people hurt them. When everybody in the church hurt. Everybody. And, and you're going to get hurt again. 
because I'm, I'm a human being, and I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to say something you don't like. I'm going to forget to tell you hello. I, I mean, I, that's going to happen. Thank God we don't have to like everybody in church to go to heaven. Because there's going to be days when you don't want to come to church and see anybody. You're just going to come to church for Jesus, hopefully. So if you, right now, if you're upset with church people, join the club. There's a whole bunch of us in it because we've been in there for a long time. We try to get out, and then people are people. But there's no reason to stop serving Jesus because one of his kids jacked up. Because all of his kids are jacked up. That's why we needed him in the first place. Tangent over. I got hurt by church people. And I started running. And I, I, you've heard me share this story. I was running, and I was, I was too scared of God to actually do anything. But I got as close to that line as I could over and over and over and over again in any way that I possibly could. And see, what was happening was I had this plan and purpose on my life. God had a plan for me. He had steps ordered for me, righteous, good, just steps ordered for me. But he couldn't lead me in them at that moment in time. He needed me to get myself back where I needed to be first. So before God can righteously order my steps, he's got to make me righteous. Some of you hear me this morning, you're, you're wondering why things are struggling, why you're not making sense in your life, why God's, where is God at? Well, maybe God's waiting for you to get righteous. Maybe God's waiting for you to surrender your life to him and start letting him be Lord of your life, not just Savior on Sunday. So that he can lead you and he can guide you. Because that's where righteousness comes from. It comes from him and him alone. Like Joseph, we are faced with the same decision where I have this choice to make. Do I do this that's completely justifiable or do I follow what the Bible says, what the word of God says? How do we do this? Thank you for asking. I'll get you three points this week. Three points this morning, I should say. 37 verse 4, Psalm 37 verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and, patient, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. The point number one is delight. This is how... We walk out and have the righteous plans for the Lord walked out in our lives, laid out before us. First, the moment we have to delight. The word delight there means to delicately rejoice over. Delicately. Now, the Tucker babies are here. They made their debut last night. They're here again this morning. I would imagine that if one of you ran up to one of those lovely twins with the same passion that you would run up to Jason on the football field. Just, I want to see the kids! You're pro he's probably going to drop kick you. Jason is a strong guy, right? He, you're not going to be allowed to just run up to him and like scream in the kids' faces and like high-five him and like chest bump an infant. It's not going to happen, right? It's just, if, if you've ever done that, don't tell me, right? Like that's just a problem. That's not going to happen. No. When you walk up to see a newborn, what do you do? You're soft. You're quiet. You probably take a step back. You're looking from a distance, but you're completely in awe of what you're looking at. 
Same thing happens when you have your first child or any of your children, not just your first one. When you're holding them, you're in awe. You're not throwing them in the air yet. You're delicately rejoicing over what you're holding in your hands. You're taking note of every feature. You're noticing every detail. You're thanking God for every tiny detail. That is how we're supposed to be with the Lord. We're supposed to delight. We're supposed to delicately rejoice in the Lord. That means that I'm supposed to be able to sit back and look at his grace in my life and be like, his, his grace did that. His grace has had that impact on me. See, a lot of times I talk about the, the big work of the cross, right? Like I was once this way and now I'm this way. I was once, you know, I was once a drug addict and now I'm set free. I was once, you know, a, a sex fiend and now I'm not. Whatever you want to call it. I was once all these different things and now I'm not. No, there are subtle differences that he makes in our lives as we continue to walk with him. What I'm saying is, is that you should be able to delicately rejoice over the things that God does in your life day to day to day to day to day because he keeps on working. Have... have have you ever been surprised by your own patience? Seriously, right? Like, wow. I, I didn't do anything just now. You ever surprise yourself? That's not your patience. That's the Holy Spirit working on you, darling. Because Lord knows if you're thinking of all the things you normally would do, you would have normally done them without the Holy Spirit. No. But... Your patience can just, wow, that's the grace of God. Have you ever noticed the change in somebody else's life? As God's working on somebody, you just begin to see the differences. I'm going I'm, I'm to give a testimony about somebody, and they might get mad. I don't know. Maybe not. But they do say I'm the boss all the time, so I can do what I want. So I'm going to take him up on that this morning. John Stogner has probably been coming to church here for about five years. And kind of always stayed kind of on the back, right? Well, March of last year, was it last year or two years ago? I don't remember. I think it was last year. I started my life group, April, something like that, right in the middle of COVID. And he came to my group. He always said, when you start a group, I'm coming. Well, I never did start a group, so he didn't go to nobody else's. Well, I started my group, and he starts coming. And at first, he's just coming. I don't know what he's getting into. But what I did with my group is we all... I bought everybody, oh, not everybody, but everybody didn't have a Bible. We bought this certain Bible, and we started reading through the book of Matthew together. And I'd say, all right, here's your homework. Read chapters 1, 2, 3. We'll talk about it next week. Well, after about three weeks in, I started noticing that not only was he reading, the, he was reading ahead, and he had questions. And then, then as we kept going, he started answering other people's questions. And I began sitting back in group, and sometimes I just let him talk. I'm like, I'm going to say nothing. He's doing a great job. I'll never forget one week we're in there and somebody had a question about tithing. And he looks at me and goes, hey, I got this. I'm like, go ahead. It's better when it's not from the pastor anyway. What I began to watch was the hand of God working in somebody's life. No, it wasn't getting out of a wheelchair. No, it wasn't an arm growing. That stuff does happen. But this was something that was small and it was subtle. But if I'm not delighting in the Lord, I'll miss out on these things that he's doing. And then I'll say, God, why aren't you doing anything? God, you're not moving. People always say, Pastor Chris, I don't get anything when I read the Bible. You're not reading it then. When I read this, it's not every morning. It doesn't just jump up and hit me in the forehead. 
every morning. Something doesn't do that. No, when I read the Bible, when I'm, I just marvel away at anything, at anything. I just see anything. And I'm like, your loving kindness lasts forever. What? I am so dumb. And your loving kindness lasts forever. I can think all day about the loving kindness of God and how it lasts forever. I don't need some magical goosebump moment in my kitchen to make me know that God is with me. I read the book and I know he's with me. We delight in him. Now, if you can't delight in the Lord, you've forgotten what you have, as I said last week. Go to Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. Notice the order. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon the rock, and established my steps. After he brought me out of the pit, he established my steps. Go to Romans 5, 5 through 8. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That, that verse right there, go back to that one real quick. That verse right there, you could pull it apart and you could chew on it for a week. Not looking for any big super mystical moment. Just read what it says. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You don't deserve the Holy Spirit and you don't deserve his love. But he gives you the Holy Spirit so he can pour out his love on you. That's incredible. Go to verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7. For scarcely... For a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good one, somebody might dare. Like you might even, you might think about it. Verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did not just die for you the moment you said a prayer. He didn't just die for you the moment that you said, oh, Jesus, I want to give you a life. No, he died for you at the bottom of the lowest pit you were ever in. The moment that you're the most ashamed of. The moment that you don't want nobody, you want him not to remember. You don't want nobody to know about that exact moment. He said, nope, I'm dying for you right there. That, my love goes that far. Right, the, the lowest of the low, his love. And if we forget those things, we can't delight in the Lord. Because there are going to be some days that life is tough. There are going to be some days that there are just not too many good things happening to focus on. But when I'm delighting in the Lord, and I remember that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. I'm good. I've always got something to praise him about. So number one is delight. Last thing. We must find our fulfillment in Christ. If you're bored with Jesus, it's because you forgot what you have. He is not boring. We are. He is not lame. We are. He isn't. He's not a dud or, or, or drudgery or religious. We are. Number one is delight. Number two is commit. The word commit here means, let's go to verse, what is it, verse five, I think. Yes, commit your way to the Lord and trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. The word commit there means to roll or to completely invest all you have. So basically, I tried to think of a way to demonstrate this, and I didn't find one that 
ended up with me not getting hurt. So I didn't do it. But it essentially means to, to roll or to just completely jump. We have a go, like you jump off a diving board, jump off a pool, or like roll down a hill. When I was a kid, we used to go to Monkey Hill at the zoo. We would just roll down the hill, right? Just keep rolling and rolling. Once you commit, right, once you start rolling, you're rolling. Right? And you ain't st- when I started falling down the mountain, I, was just, I, was, I had committed, unintentionally committed, to roll down this hill. I'm really glad that my knee got hurt and stopped me from going off the side of the mountain. But I had committed to the roll. I remember when Caitlin was doing cheerleading, she was talking about you can't kind of commit to a stunt or a flip. You either got to do it or not. When we talk to singers and they got to hit a big note, I'm like, you can't kind of go for it. You got to give it all you got or let somebody else hit it. Because when you, when you kind of commit to something, when you kind of go for something, that's when you get hurt. You talk to anybody who does gymnastics, anybody who does anything physical, if you kind of commit, you're going to get hurt. Same thing as a singer. If you kind of go over that note, it's going to sound like you missed it entirely. Same thing here. If we kind of commit to Jesus, it's going to look funky. It's going to look bad because we're going to be hemming and hawing back and forth. You ever seen the people that go to jump off the diving board and they quit at the last second but still fall? That's what some people's relationship with Jesus looks like. It's Sunday. Yes, Lord, I believe in you Monday. Oh, my God. It happens every day because we're not committing. We're like kind of trying this thing. I had a conversation with a friend yesterday. Jesus is not something you try. I believe it's Yoda. It says do or do not. There is no try. Yes, definitely preach it. Do or do not. There is no try. We either live for Jesus or we don't. There is no try. When you try something, you're giving yourself the opportunity or the option to not continue in it. You can try a new type of food. You take one bite, and you don't eat it no more. You can't try Jesus because he gets better the longer we serve him. It gets sweeter as the days go by. So we have to commit our plan, roll, invest, completely invest our plans, our way to the Lord. Trust also in him. And he, check out the rest of this verse. He shall bring it to pass. He will. Not you. He will. Now look at verse 6. And somebody's going to grab this one. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. There's some of you, some of you I know because I know your situation. Some of you I don't know you're going through this. But there are some people that you have been wronged. You've been cheated on. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's something with work. Maybe where you are in right now, you're in a situation where things are being done wrong to you. Or something has been done wrong to you. And you are trying to process how to respond, how to handle it, how to deal with it. Look what he says here. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. What is he bringing to pass? He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light. That means that when you commit your way to him and you trust also in him, the righteousness that he's placed in you is going to come to light, which means people are going to see the fact that what you're going through, there's something different about you because the righteousness that only comes from him is going to be brought to the light. 
at the job site, when, when, when the people are acting foolish and that man, that, that foreman or whatever is getting on your case, the righteousness of God will come out and people are going to go, why is he or she acting that way? It doesn't make sense because they should be acting like this. Joseph could have had Mary killed, but instead, because of righteousness, he did, he trusted what the word of God said. You have every right to punch that guy. You have every right to quit your job. You have every right to cause a fit and stir and do all the nonsense, but there's a righteousness on the inside of you that will come up because he is working on your behalf. But this is the best part. Your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Question, do you ever not know when it's noon? Do you ever think it's evening at noon? Do you ever wonder if it's the middle of the night at noon? No. Everybody knows when it's noon. The sun is directly above us. It's hot. It's bright. It's the middle of the day. It is so obvious when it is noon. Some of you are waiting for justice in your life. You're waiting for God to vindicate you, to bring justice on your behalf. Somebody's wronged you. I I don't know why I keep getting this in my spirit. Maybe it's prophetic. I'm just going to go for it. There's somebody in here that you're waiting for God to intervene on your behalf in the middle of a divorce. You're going through a horrific battle, nightmare, chaos, and you're wondering what to do. And commit your way to the Lord and trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He will bring forth your righteousness as the dawn and your justice as the noonday. When God intervenes, when God acts, when God hits that gavel, it's going to be so evident. It's going to be so obvious. It's going to be like noon in the middle of the night. Because he brings it to pass. But that only happens when we commit our way. Oh, I don't know if you're ready for me to preach this part. Commit your way. The word way there means the course of your life or the manner with which you make decisions. Commit the manner of which you make decisions to the Lord. Commit the course of your life to the Lord. That changes things entirely. Because now, we don't realize this, right? You ever, you know how they, you could be doing one thing and not realize it's impacting another in a totally different part of your life? See, you may not realize, but if there's an area of your life where the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, I don't want you to do that. 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 And you're ignoring him. But you're believing for God to move in this totally different area of your life. God, why aren't you moving? God, why aren't you moving? God, why aren't you moving? Well, God's not moving because you're not surrendering. You're not obeying. Pastor Chris, that has no connection to this. Yes, it does. Because you want him to intervene and he wants you to listen. You need him in both areas. We have to understand that God is in the business of his own glory. God wants people to know that he's the thing that changed your life, that he's the difference, that he's the one that moved. And he can't bless you if your lifestyle is contrary to what his word says. This isn't comfortable Christmas preaching, I'm sorry. Right? Like, he can't. He will not do it because he's not going to look like he's endorsing sin. 
It's not going to happen. You may say, well, Pastor Chris, what about those people out there in the world? Yes, there are worldly people who live terrible lives who are worldly successful. Well, that success is gone like this, instantaneously. If not before, the moment their time on this earth is done, all that success is useless. But there's a judge that stands waiting, and he's going to judge us according to what we do with our lives. Every word spoken, just, this is not in my notes. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every word spoken, every deed done, every thought, thought will be laid out before us. And we're going to be asked to give an account for it. Every single one. And just to let you know, there is no answer. Except the blood of Jesus. But we can't keep living our lives in the manner of making decisions that are contrary to what he says and expect his blood to cover them. We have to commit, completely invest the manner of which we make decisions in the Lord and trust also in him. I want to read you a passage that I don't have time to preach. I just want to read it to you. Go read it later. Hebrews 12, 12 through 17. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I need to take that. I'm not going to read the rest of it. Just have it verse 14. Pursue holiness. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I see a whole lot of stuff right now on Facebook. I see a whole lot of stuff in sermons. I see all kinds of things about how we're supposed to deal with people. We're supposed to be nice. We're supposed to be Christian. We're, and we are. We're supposed to be loving. We're supposed to be evangelistic. We're supposed to be showing love of Christ. People. Yes, yes. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. Which means I'm supposed to pursue holiness, which is who he is. That means I should be trying to have every area of my life surrendered under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And guess what? You won't get it all in one day because we're human. It takes time for us to work these things out, but I'm going to pursue holiness. I'm going to pursue holiness because without which no man will see the Lord. A couple, week, a couple weeks ago, I preached a message called Taste and See from Psalms where it says, Taste and see the Lord is good. I think it's Psalms 34, 7. Taste and see the Lord is good. The word see in that verse over there is to see, like look at, to have through your eyes. This verse here, without holiness, with which no man will see the Lord, is not the same see. The word here is not just to see with your eyes, but it's to gaze at. The remarkable. It's to gaze upon something remarkable. How many of you want to see God do remarkable things? Right? Some of y'all are kind of thinking about it. I want to see God do some remarkable things, and that does not happen unless I'm pursuing holiness. When I read books or biographies about men of God who, who have long gone to be with the Lord, different things like that, and I read the way they live their lives, I'm like, God, you ain't doing nothing through me. Nothing. We've allowed our lives to be so distracted by entertainment 
that we're forgetting to pursue holiness. And holiness comes from seeking the face of God. First, we have delight. Second, we have commit. Third, we have rest. Verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. I preached on rest a few weeks ago as well. The word rest there means to be made silent or dumb and in one sense even dead. Rest. So we're just going to go ahead and say, be put, get under anesthesia. That's how the analogy I want you to have from this is to be put under anesthesia in the Lord and wait patiently for him. How miserable would a surgery be without anesthesia? Right? Like one of the biggest, y'all, you got them weird fears? Like, th- not like I'm scared of getting hit by like a car. Like, no, like, like I have always had this really small fear of waking up during surgery, but not being able to tell them that I'm awake. I know it happens, and like I saw it one time, one of them weird like shows, and now, like, I've only had two surgeries, but both times I was like, please don't tell me to wake up. Like, don't make me wake up, please, right? I'm not gonna wake up. It like barely ever happens. I can only imagine how horrific that must be to be awake during a procedure. Well, when we're trying to fix a situation and praying and asking God to fix it, we're awake for surgery. He's in there trying to work, and he wants us to rest. He wants us to be put under anesthesia. He wants us to be dead, in a sense, to rest, to be silent, and to be made dumb, which means not dumb like up here, dumb here. He wants us to be quiet and let him work. Your kids ever ask you 45 questions while you're cooking dinner? And you ask them, hey, can you just wait and let me cook? And then we sit down and you can ask all the questions you want. Just give me a minute. Let me focus on what I'm doing. We're asking God to fix a problem, yet we're digging the hole deeper and fussing because he's not doing it. Rest. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And look at the last line. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. This is a nugget that I'm just throwing out. If you're comparing your progress in what you're doing to what God is doing in other people, stop right now. Comparison will slow down the work of God in your life because you'll be too busy watching him work on everybody else's. The saying, comparison is a thief of joy, is so accurate, it's so true, and it robs people of purpose and destiny and calling in God all the time. Because you look at what God is doing in Raph and Brianna, or you look at what God is doing in Amber, or in Michelle, or in Erica, and you say, well, God's not doing that in me. No, God is doing things in you. You're just too busy looking at what he's doing in everybody else's. But the worst is when we look at what God is doing, or we look at what we think God is doing, or God is allowing in worldly people. But if you go back two weeks ago, we realized that the success that we see in the world is not something God does. It's temporary. It's fleeting. It fails and it goes away. Yet we're comparing an eternal process to a temporary situation. And it robs us of all of our joy. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And do not fret for he who prospers in his way. Why? We see that. Why does it matter? Why do we need to do all these things? Why do we have to delight? Why do we have to commit? And why do we have to rest? Because of the first promise that we read, Psalm 37, 23-24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall. Y'all ever fell? You ever made a wrong decision? You ever did the wrong thing, reacted the wrong way, said the wrong thing, thought the wrong thing? Though he falls, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him. The Lord upholds him. That's incredible. That means I can make a mistake and he's still got me covered. He's still going to pick me up. 
You ever been living with the Lord and you thought you made the right decision? You thought you made the one God wanted you to make and you found that you made the wrong one? That's happened to me before. I thought God said do this, but he didn't and I did it. And I'm like, I'm in trouble now. No, he's got me. It should blow up my face, but it didn't. I could tell you stories all day about those things. Righteous steps cause God to delight in my way. Even when I fall, it won't defeat me. Some of you have fallen, whether it's through self a self-imposed decision or you were knocked down, but you have committed your way in your response to the Lord. Just know he upholds you. Just know he's upholding you. My finances, my job, my family, my children, they don't sustain me. They don't uphold me. They don't guarantee anything from me. He does. He does. Sometimes we see, and I can't remember the name of this family off the top of my head right now. If you've been on Facebook for the last two days, or really it was yesterday, you may have seen a post that was shared a hundred, I don't know, tons of times. A family, was, a family with nine children, a mother and three of the kids were heading home from a playoff game, a basketball game or something like that. Drunk driver crosses the interstate and hits them head on on the interstate up by I-49, up by Lafayette. And um, he was in the middle of the interstate, like out of nowhere, so they sent him to different hospitals. As the family began to show up, they didn't know who each person was. Come to find out, all three children died, and the mother's still in ICU. She hasn't even woken up yet, doesn't even know that her kids are gone. The family didn't know because they didn't know who was at what hospital. So they're driving to this hospital. One of the siblings had to go identify all three of her younger siblings because they didn't know who was who. They just had bodies. When you see a situation like that, what do you say? What do you do? There's nothing to say. There's nothing to do. There's only one Literally, there's only one choice. And you thank God when it's so clear. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to Him and rest in Him. That's it. Because He's the only thing that can get you through something like that. He's the only thing. Without Him, there's nothing. Man, there's nothing. Bow your heads with me this morning.